Good news, everybody. <laughs> Good news, everyone. <laughs> You're I mean, bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> no, we're not Farnsworth here. We aren't. And we're not, we are definitely not Zoidberg either. Or yeah. are we? Um, sometimes. 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 But, but, we, but we do have good news, we everybody. We do have good news. We have big, exciting news here at Rock Candy Podcast. Yeah. That's what you're listening to. <laughs> but guess what? What? We're on the network now. We're on a fucking network. Air horns. Yeah, we did it. Yes. Yay. We're on pan, <laughs> we're on, uh, the Pantheon Network. Yes. We're on now. the Pantheon Network, formerly Rock and Roll Archaeology. Mm-hmm. And they are home to how many rad fucking podcasts that we actually listen to and know pretty good. Yeah. Um, one of them being Muses, formerly Muses and stuff. A lot of people are changing their names. We aren't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, definitely check them out. They're great. They talk about the like muses of rock and roll the the people behind the people of the greatest songs of our and our artists time. and just in general yeah. they have some they just put out an episode on Sid and Nancy oh nice yeah I have was, to listen to yeah, that one that's a that's a oof hot hot <laughs> uh but also home of Vinyl Snob, uh, Rock and Roll Librarian, that's a really good one. She did a episode a few months ago about, uh, oh my god, I'm the worst, the drummer from Hole. Oh yeah. And it really made me hate Courtney Love. I can't remember her name. I always <laughs> want to call her Patty. The book's called so hard, but she reads the books and she talks about them. Yeah, They're yeah. great. In general though, we are really fucking excited to be a part of this network. They have so many great shows and we are insanely flattered that someone thinks we're good enough to be on a network. <laughs> Yay! They like, noticed us. Senpai noticed Yay. us. Guys, Finally. that's the big news of the day. Senpai fucking noticed us. And I think it's pretty awesome news because I am very excited to be part of this little group of podcasts. This, this quickly growing too. Um, yes. They are, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they are definitely which is, making their strides which and is, I'm very excited about it. Which is good news for all of us. Us, yes. them, and you guys. Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, if you like us, and you should, why are you listening to us <laughs> if you don't like us? Yeah. You definitely need to check out Pantheon. You can check them out on their website, www.rockandrollarchaeology.com. And in it, you get all the information on all the different episodes or shows that they have. And check them out because everybody's really good. And if you're listening to us, I assume you like music. Yeah. And they dig into other different things. Fucking, come on. We need more music podcasts and we need more love for the music podcast because, um, without, I don't think, without music, you wouldn't have podcast bitches. Period. Right? Fight me. I, I guess it's a fight me kind of night. It's gonna be a fight me kind of night. I think it's gonna be a fight me kind of night. Okay, that's fine. We can rule with that. Yeah. We got that. Alright, good. But yeah, so we are part of this network now. Please go and support them. They are amazing. And I mean, we're amazing. We're on it. So clearly. <laughs> and by, by supporting them, you support us. And it's a nice little group effort. Hell yeah. I nice. like it. Look at that. That's nice. Look at that. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. So. Okay. Good news over. Let's, let's get into our episode. Oh God. <laughs> is, it, is it that bad? Oh no. It's. It's an interesting one. Oh, oh, I've been, I've been looking forward to this. Well, we did say it was the counterpart to last week's, uh, but before we should introduce ourselves for oh, yeah, Rock Candy right. Podcast, your weekly treats, uh, <laughs> sweet treats, 
of music stories. I'm you're derping so tired. You are derping real I am <laughs> so fucking tired. I did the math. I got 16 hours of sleep throughout the entire weekend. That's like basically how much I sleep. That's the weekend, not good. Whether I'm partying or not. So that's not great. No, but you can also hours. you can also sleep until like noon. Oh my god, I'm so good for at like sleeping. eleven hours. I'm I, the best sleeper. I love to, I love to sleep, but I can't sleep that long. I hate it. Well, I'm Maggie, and I love to sleep. <laughs> I hate it. I'm hating it. And that's Ashley. I'm and Ashley, she hates and I'm sleeping. hating it. No, I love sleeping, but I hate not being able to sleep that much. Oh my god, it's the best. It's my best superpower. Superpower? Yeah. It's not quite a superpower. I'd say it's a superpower. But in continuing with the Mental Health Awareness Month, because last week we talked about Wesley Willis. Yeah. So who now. Is schizophrenic, uh, musician, unfortunately passed away. Hopefully you guys have listened to that episode and also gone ahead and listened to some of his music if you haven't yet. Yeah. It's worth it. Is it. Very interesting. It, it's definitely, uh, some fun stuff. So I would say this week is kind of like, what, like, the opposite side of the same coin? But yeah, I guess you would say that. like, the other end of the spectrum, or... Um, it's a very similar story with, um... Different outcomes? Different surrounding circumstances, Okay, I guess. Okay. I guess you could say that. Sure. Let's do that, then. Let's say that. Yeah, so it's, this week we're going to talk about Daniel Johnston. Yes, we are! Who's a fascinating guy. His story is crazy. And I guess we should shout out um, my main source of information from mm-hmm. this week, which was the documentary The Devil and Daniel Johnston, mm-hmm. which if you haven't seen it yet, you should go see it. Yeah, it came out in it. like 2006, I think. Oh, wow. Um, it's fascinating. And it gives you a really in-depth look into the life of somebody that has schizophrenia and um, depression and bipolar mm-hmm. disorder. Oh. Who is also a musician. Oh. So, oh, oh, and, um, Daniel, he really liked film too. Oh. So starting when he was really young, he filmed everything. Oh my God. So his entire life is basically either on film or on a tape recorder. Like he would tape arguments with his parents and use it as like inspiration for music. Wow. So this documentary has those. <laughs> On it. Oh my god. And his I do home need to watch movies. This. It's a fascinating look into somebody with this kind of mental illness. Wow. And, and the people that he surrounded him with, because they don't really talk to Daniel directly. They talk to his friends and his family. Mm-hmm. And that gives you a different side to it because everybody that they talked to was on the outside looking in. Right. And had to deal with all of the crazy shit that he went through to be a musician. So wow. it's very fascinating, very good movie. So go watch it, but do it. don't watch it right now. Cause I'm going to tell you about it. Right. <laughs> like let us, you know, give you the, the, the meat and potatoes, get the broth from and the also documentary. The, and also the beer. Yes. Also, but mostly the beer that is accompanying us this week is called live transmission. I keep wanting to say live transmission, live transmission from flying monkey craft brewery. It is a milkshake IPA with the worst description ever. It is um it is a lactose. What was it? Wait, where is it? Oh, it's Oh, here it is. 
Um, it literally says it's pulsing with rich lactose waves. <laughs> yeah. You want the rich lactose <laughs> waves? Cause I'm feeling them. Actually, it is a very good IPA though. It's delicious, but also terrible description. I've been like all about these milkshake IPAs lately. Oh, they're so good. I've, I think I've been drinking them like all fucking weekend. Yeah, Which I get, is another I, thing I need to stop doing. I need to start sleeping more and drinking less milkshake IPAs. Yeah, but I'm they're really dying. Good. They're delicious. I'm dead now. But anyway, we can get into yeah. this a shit right now. Yeah, let's tune in now, as the can of beer is telling us to do. <laughs> we can. Oh, yeah. I mean, but why live transmission? Oh, um, <laughs> actually, I thought it said love transmission I when I got it. I wanted to call you out. And uh got it home and... <laughs> Realized it did not say love transmission, but let's pretend it does. But also the flying monkeys. But also the flying monkeys because he has a couple songs that reference monkeys. Right. Um, and also so many of his songs reference love and all that shit. All that shit. So that's why I got it. And then I realized it doesn't say love transmission. Great. But whatever. I'm not going out and buying another one. Yeah. And I mean, this is good. I'm, I'm glad we're drinking this. Better be. Daniel Johnson was born in Sacramento, California to Bill and Mabel Johnson. Johnston. I'm going to do that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I was doing that a lot and you had to correct me a billion times. Johnston. Johnston. But grew... Johnston. Flourish the pinky. But he grew up in the countryside of West Virginia. He was six years younger than his four siblings, but they treated him like a true baby brother, pampering and doting on him and making sure he had a really great life. Oh, lady. Which is already a vastly different uh childhood than Wesley Willis. Yeah. You have a very pampered young white boy growing up in West Virginia as opposed to a young black boy growing up in the projects of Chicago. Yeah. So which one is going to fare better in his adolescence? Yeah. Yeah. His parents had his IQ tested when he was young and realized he was extremely smart. So he was put in all the honors classes, but he was a difficult student. He never listened to his teachers and never followed the rules. His mom said he felt like, I'm artistic, I shouldn't have to do these things, and had a defiant attitude about everything. Yeah, I was wondering, maybe he had some opposition defiance disorder. Yeah. <laughs> Slow. This is your armchair diagnosis here? Yes. I mean, literally, <laughs> I am in an armchair, and I'm diagnosing him with ODD. Yeah. Yeah, you know you me. Know me? <laughs> <laughs> we both went there. Uh, music podcast. Music. Podcast. Hashtag music. I'm so tired. Oh my god. This isn't even drunk episode. This, this is, is just we're tired. Fucking tired we're fucking tired. Episode. We're old. <laughs> we're tired. The only thing that really held Daniel's attention was anything artistically creative. Drawing music and film fascinated him to a point of obsession. Back then, film was what he loved the most. And we're kind of lucky because he filmed everything, like right. I said before. He also made daily audio journals that still survive, and that wow. gave us a huge insight into his life, his thoughts, and his mental illness. So Dan's artistic ability made him an art star at Oak Glen High School, where he was also in the marching band. He and his- Nerd! <laughs> Nerd! I was a marching band, but I had no choice. If you were in band in my school, you had to be a marching band. Yeah, I think it- And same goes. Band. Same goes for my high school, but we had literally one parade a year, so- Ugh. 
and we didn't have like sports teams Ugh. so you didn't have to do that Ugh, i hated it <laughs> He and his BFF, David Thornberry, started doing art together, and Daniel conceived the symbols he draw over and over again for decades. The first was a drawing of a giant blue eyeball with red nerve endings trailing behind it. Ooh. This would become his intro calling card of sorts, which he called the Dead Dog's Eyeball. Gross. It's kind of gross. But the image popped up everywhere, even all over the high school walls. Oh my god. That's yeah. kind of amazing, though. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, that'll come Vandalism. back. Vandalism. That'll come back to haunt him later. Oh, no. There's this one sketch called Daniel Johnston's Symbolical Visions that is described as the Rosetta Stone of Daniel's drawings. Huh. There's Jeremiah the Innocent, which is supposed to be a frog, but actually kind of looks like Crumb from Our Real Monsters. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. There's a limbless female torso. A scalped male boxer with an empty head cavity and flying eyeballs and others. These Ooh. images had to have some significance because they pop up in his art throughout his lifetime. Oh my God. Constantly. Through high school, he lived at his parents' basement that was filled with stuff upon stuff upon stuff. Ooh, were they hoarders? He was a hoarder. Oh. His parents were not, but he was definitely a hoarder. Ooh. And he used these things to create his art in films to almost a hoarding situation. But living with his parents wasn't all it was cracked up to be. His it never is, is it? It never is. His family was very right-wing Christian, and Daniel's views did not line, align with theirs. While his mom was constantly trying to get him to go to church and live a quote-unquote well-rounded life, Meh. all he cared about was art and the Beatles. I mean, that's basically church right there. Yeah, the Beatles are basically church. Yeah, I mean, much. they're bigger than Jesus. They are bigger than Jesus. Or so John said. He wasn't wrong. Not really. He really wasn't. There seems to be a really big breakdown between Daniel and his parents at this point. Daniel is clearly presenting symptoms of what of some kind of mental illness, and he's using art as a way to express his mental state. But I mean, what is- he was in high school at this point. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the stuff he's drawing and the way he's acting. Yeah, there's something going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, but what his parents see is a rebellious young man with no regard for God. There's even recordings of Daniel's mother screaming at him that all he cares about is his, quote, satanic cartoons what? while telling him that he's a laughingstock, Aww. which is not how you treat a kid with a mental illness. Right. I mean, I guess they didn't know he had a mental they illness. They didn't know. And this was like. Late 70s. Yeah, you didn't... Yeah. Of course they don't know, but still, like, if you if you see all of these, like, weird symptoms in your kid, you've got to think something is wrong beyond the normal, like, teenage angst kind I'm of stuff. I'm going to say in the 70s they wouldn't, though. They'd probably just think it's, like... Especially fundamentalist Christians. Yeah, they're not going to think in West Virginia. Wrong, mentally, they're going to think, like, th- he's just, like, he's doing the He's drugs. just being a rebellious pothead kid and satan found him satan found him and now he's doing the dope this might be also be a prime time for things like exorcisms and uh like really like it's on the precipice of the satanic panic oh yeah 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 yeah. so it kind of makes sense that they would just think the devil took him over not that he has a mental illness i mean that would be kind of rad but you know Right. I'd, I'd I'd feel privileged if this if Satan chose my child to possess. Oh, Satan, my child, really? Oh. Really? What did I do so oh. right? I never have I been so blessed. 
Hashtag blessed. (laughs) But also, Daniel wanted this to happen. He intentionally riled up his mother to get a negative reaction from her so that he could record it and use it as inspiration for his work and also in his work. That's really funny. Yeah, it's kind of funny. This fractured relationship with his parents was what he considered sacrifice for his art because his mother's browbeating did wear on him. That's fair. Doesn't doesn't your mother's browbeating wear on all of us, though? Everyone. Like, woof. Especially if you're a rebellious teenager wearing jinkos and black eyeliner yeah right like mom i'm just trying to express myself stop it i just want to dye my hair blue and wear big pants right and listen to slipknot okay that's all i wanted to do in high school and apparently that wasn't okay i also wanted to watch wrestling and that wasn't okay either i wanted to watch mtv and that wasn't okay yeah that's which is the dumbest thing like my parents weren't religious they let me kind of do whatever i wanted but couldn't watch mtv that's weird at 18 daniel went to college but he couldn't keep up he was missing classes and was often confused and homesick he started complaining of intense pain in his arms and fingers that was incessant and debilitating which is apparently a psychosomatic condition when you have a mental illness interesting um once his parents took him out of college and brought him back home his symptoms stopped he never experienced them again weird yeah very strange that is very psychosomatic He gave college another go, attending art school at Kent State in Ohio. There, he found a like-minded group of art students that became his friends and allowed him to flourish. In this group of friends is a girl named Lori Allen, who quickly becomes the love of Daniel's life. He writes pages and pages of songs about her, follows her around with a Super 8 camera, and was totally madly in love with her. But it was unrequited. She had a boyfriend in Florida Uh. that she eventually married. Wait, what? I was like, boyfriend in Florida? That's some bull... Okay, never mind. They got married. Yeah. And Daniel was heartbroken. But you have to understand, they were never together. Right. She and Daniel were never boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, he was friend-zoned. He was very friend zone friend zone but i i get the impression that his friends always kind of knew that mental illness did play a big part in his his whole being right um and he was he was that friend that like everybody likes and everybody loves to hang out with but he'll develop really intense crushes and the other person is like well i don't want to be mean to him so i'll just kind of like let him think that we're like in this relationship, but no. we're not. No. Yeah, but that no. that doesn't help. Them. That's bad because then he never learns how to deal with those emotions. Right, and then when he inevitably has to face reality and understand that this was never a thing, that's fucking life crushing. But also, too, it's sometimes it's hard to be a woman, and you're a little scared, to be honest. So you just yeah. hope if you ghost, it works. Yeah. Although I hate ghosting, and I try really hard not to do that shit. But sometimes you kind of have no choice. Yeah. But also, sometimes you get yourself into that situation. Right. Like, sometimes you just need to be honest at the very beginning. Right. But that is extremely difficult to do. Yeah. Honest, hashtag honest women problems. Yeah, honest women problems. But also, too, like, sometimes just get really drunk and then it's easier to be honest. True. I'm condoning alcoholism. It's fine. Getting drunk makes everything easier, so. I mean, my life has been a lot easier. Bingo. This was the best and the worst thing that could have happened to Daniel. While his love for Lori inspired a hundred songs, the loss inspired a thousand more. 
1980, he recorded his first album called Songs of Pain. Oh, no! <laughs> comprised mostly of songs about love and love lost. They're all simple compositions, just Dan, his voice, and a piano. It was recorded on a standard 70s-era tape recorder. You know, like the big box thing. You yes. just stick the cassette in and press play. I love play. those. I had one of those. Yep. Um, and onto a cassette tape. And, like, pretty much all of Daniel's albums had cover art drawn by himself. Despite how well his personal and artistic life was going at Kent State, Dan's parents took him out of college because they didn't think he was using his time there effectively, which is bullshit. I was going to say, first of all, he made an album. Second of all, he did his own album art like Wesley Willis did. Exactly. Instead, they sent him to live in Austin, Texas with his brother, Dick. Dick. Things went fine with Dick for a while. I bet they did. (laughs) They always do. For a while. <laughs> For a while. Dan- Till Dick fucks it up. Dick always fucks it up. Dick always fucks it up. <laughs> Dan got a job at Astroworld and turned Dick's garage weight bench into a recording studio with an old cord organ. What? He took his weight bench that was in the garage yeah. and like put his organ on it and like oh. made that into his little workspace. That's really cute actually. Cause Dick wasn't using the weight bench. Dick wasn't using that for Dick. <laughs> Here he pumped out albums left and right. <laughs> he pumped <laughs> out albums on the <laughs> weight bench. <laughs> ah, he's pumping organs. I didn't even do that on purpose. Good for you. Accidental puns. He was still obsessed with Lori Allen and writing songs about her enough for five more albums. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. What? Don't Be Scared in 1982. The What of Whom in 1982. More Songs of Pain in 1983. Yip Jump Music again in 1983. And the iconic Hi How Are You in 1983. Hi, how are you? I'm in love with Lori! <laughs> but dan would stay up all hours of the night recording his masterpieces which his brother and his family didn't like so he would keep them up yes okay so (laughs) was it because it kept them awake all night it's because he kept dick up oh dick puns (laughs) so dick basically evicted him hoping that would be an impetus for dan to get a real job in his own apartment nope no that never works doesn't though instead he moved in with his sister here he was allowed to do whatever he wanted and could could make a mess out of his living space which helped him thrive creatively yeah he could keep his sister up all night that's fine dick was a dick dick doesn't want to be up all the time Dick doesn't want to party all the time. Party Party all the time. time. Party Party all the time. (laughs) But one night he went out and he didn't come home. Apparently at some point during the day, he bought a moped and took off. What? Not telling anyone where he went. He actually joined a traveling carnival and didn't have any contact with his family during the entire time he was traveling. He was off having the time of his life. But his family was racked with grief, not knowing if he was okay or dead somewhere. So he didn't even tell them that he was. Nope. I just left his sister's house and was like, oh, traveling carnival. Yeah. Holy shit. That's crazy. I mean, it's kind of cool, though. It is, though. Like, that's like, just like get every a fucking moped dream. and take off with a traveling circus. Jesus Christ. It's like a fantasy. It's like he ran meeting. into Macklemore and Macklemore's like, hey, go get a moped. 
Because Macklemore has a song about mopeds. I, I know you don't. I was like, I don't know why I'm making this reference for Ashley. She's not <laughs> going to know. get it. Someone out there will get that reference, though. Eventually, the carnival came back to Austin. That night, Daniel was using a porta potty, and someone waiting in line got pissed off that he was taking too long. Hey, sometimes you guys just get poop. It's it's a called a potty. Yeah. You do potty stuff in a potty. Yeah, like, what does he want them to do in there? I don't know. The guy started slamming on the porta potty, and when Dan came out, the big dude immediately decks him in the face. <gasps> Hard. What? What? Hard. Why would you do that? He's a big dick. What's wrong with He's a big dick. <laughs> big dick. <laughs> it wasn't dick, though. It wasn't that dick. It was just a dick. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't capital D dick. It was just, just lowercase dick. Lowercase dick. It left him delirious and he didn't know what to do. So he stumbled through Austin until he found a church and asked them to help him. Oh. They took him to a hospital, but while he was in the hospital, the carnival pulled away, leaving Daniel behind. Oh, no! So he had nowhere to go and no one to stay with, and he didn't really know where he was or what he was doing. Oh, no! He ended up in downtown Austin and happened across the flyer adorned with drawings of eyeballs, advertising a show for a band called Glass Eye. Okay. And remember his eyeball drawings? Yeah. He took this as a sign and went to the show. Dead dog's eye or something? Dead dog's eye. Dead dog's eye. Look at me, I remember that. There, he met the band and gave them a copy of his sixth album, Hi, How Are You? They oh, did, okay. They, I thought you meant all six of his albums. No. So I'm like, woof. <laughs> album number six. Okay. They didn't even listen to it, but they let him open for them at their next show anyway. Oh. This was the first real show playing for an audience. For some reason, that night he decided to forego the piano and instead play guitar. Unfortunately, he was really good at piano and not very good at guitar, but it didn't matter. He had the audience riveted and he would become more well known for playing guitar after this. And he never really got that good at it, but that was kind of part of his shtick. Is he like Wesley Willis in the sense that it's kind of fascinating to watch him perform? Yes. Okay. Because you don't know what Daniel Johnston's going to do on stage. Right, right, right. Which was the same kind of for like Wesley Willis. Yeah. Okay. It was just the start of Dan's popularity. Before he knew it, people in Austin were talking about this weird guy, Daniel Johnston, and his super weird music. And not in a bad (laughs) way. Yeah, he was a weirdo, but he was also exceedingly polite and endearing. The most endearing part of him was his sincerity. Every word out of his mouth and every chord he strummed was heartfelt and genuine. Eventually, people realized all he wanted you to do was listen to his tape. Okay. And each copy of Hi, How Are You was completely and totally unique. Yeah, they all had the same songs on them, and but each cassette was recorded individually, meaning he would record an album on cassette, draw the cover art and track list by hand, give that cassette to someone... Then go home and do that process all over again just to hand it out to a new person. So he didn't realize you could make a master copy Mm -mm. and then, okay. I mean, I think he might have done that with his other albums, but I think he did it on purpose with Hi, How Are You? Interesting. Yeah. That's fucking commitment. Yeah. So each copy of of that album in the early days was totally different. That's crazy. And he recorded these on that tape player. Yeah. So, like, it's not even great quality. No, it's garbage quality. Wow. But people fucking loved it. And finally, Dan found a job. Yay. At McDonald's. Rock and roll McDonald's. Yes. So, he found a job at McDonald's, but he sucked at it. 
Oh, I mean, that makes sense. He couldn't do much, honestly, because he had a mental illness. That was still un- undiagnosed at this still point. Still undiagnosed Wait, at this and point. And he's like early 20s? Yeah, about 22. Okay. So he couldn't do much. He didn't know how to cook the food or run the cash register, and he wouldn't learn. So he often defaulted to cleaning tables because that was the job that required the least skill. It's true. Somehow he managed to keep his job for years. I'm not that surprised. It's McDonald's. Right. Yeah. By now, he was in his early 20s, and this was when his family first started to notice that something wasn't quite quite right. Right. There was a disconnect between Dan and the rest of the world. In 1985, he was officially diagnosed with manic depression, which is Mm. now more commonly known as bipolar disorder. Right. Eventually, he would be diagnosed with schizophrenia, which I think is, it's a more accurate diagnosis okay like yeah i'm sure he does have bipolar disorder to go along with it but that that was definitely not the only thing yeah it's it's interesting because you have this this white guy i would say privileged but i guess not necessarily because he did go off and do shit on his own but he was allowed to do that because he always had um his family to fall back on and like catch him when he fell and bring him back home, recuperate him, and then let him do whatever he wanted. And, and it, it to support me, him financially. So then it makes me wonder to counter-argument it with Wesley Willis, where he's diagnosed, like, mid to late 20s, around the same time, and just kind of, like, tossed around from place to place. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a very different experience. That but, yeah, had. these are very, very... It's funny that they are so commonly, like, lumped into the same group together, because... They had vastly different upbringings. Right. Um, Wesley Willis didn't have anybody, really. Yeah. And he sold his art to make his own money and to keep things going for him. And, right. And he relied a lot on, I think, his friends who were more than willing to help him out. And Daniel Johnson had the same kind of safety net right. with his friends. But he had a much more privileged upbringing he had a lot more, I would say a lot more opportunities, like yeah. readily there for him. He didn't have to struggle so much with his musical career. Right. And it's, 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 um, debatable. I mean, because Wesley Wills just stayed near home, but if he had right. done what Daniel Johnston did and just get up and go, like, would any of his family even, like, some of his family, I don't even think would have been capable of really noticing. Right. Like I had mentioned, like the whole family, like a lot of the family had issues. Yeah. And like, and Daniel's family and friends always had tabs on him. Yeah. Like he could go off and do some random shit that nobody was expecting, but eventually somebody found him. Right. And brought him back and put him in a institution or something to recuperate him and get him help. Mm -hmm. And then he would be better for a while and then put back out into society. Interesting. If you were to watch these two documentaries that we used for mm-hmm. these two episodes, side by side you would see such a vast difference in how they were treated, both socially and psychologically, Yeah, and the help that they received. I almost feel like Daniel Johnston probably got more sympathy and more assistance because yes. people probably saw him and thought, oh, this poor man... Whereas he's, if someone, people would see Wesley Wells and be like, this is just some crazy homeless guy. I need to get away from him. Absolutely. And that has a lot to do with looks because you have this skinny, 
like mousy kind of white guy from West Virginia. Right. Or you have a six foot four, 300 plus pound black man from Chicago. Right. Who kind of looks like he's a little homeless. We're not as opposed, poli- as opposed to the white guy who's wearing the sweater vest. Like we're not a political podcast. Yeah. However, you can't think ignore, about it. You can't ignore those kind of differences. Think about it. Yeah. So he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but the diagnosis didn't do much. He still only cared about art and music, and the rest of the world wasn't even registering to him. And we're at this, so were they treating it with, like, therapy and medication? I don't think they were doing anything. What? I think he got the diagnosis, um, and then he just kind of, if, if they did give him drugs, he wasn't taking them. Okay. Because that's, that's an argument to be made. He might have been, di- or, uh prescribed drugs that he didn't take yeah or he could have he he probably was recommended therapy or something like that Mm. probably didn't do it probably not the fact that he only cared about art and music kind of paid off because somehow he managed to get on the mtv show the cutting edge where host peter zaremba introduced daniel to the masses what yeah he just ended up on it this this is also like a recurring thing with daniel it's just he just happened to end up on things oh my god right place at the right fucking time all All the time dan held up his little cassette to the camera and, and he said and i quote hi my name is daniel johnston and this is the name of my tape it's called hi how are you and i had a nervous breakdown when i recorded it oh okay the recognition from being on MTV was immediate. All of a sudden, McDonald's bumps up his hours to 30 or 40 a week because now they have a star on their hands. Oh. Before, they were getting pissed when he would spend work hours talking to customers, but now they were encouraging it. Oh, my God. What the fuck? <laughs> but, but, of course, that shit gets old after a while once magazines, record companies, and the like were ringing the phone off the hook looking to talk to Daniel. Huh, so they would call McDonald's to talk to Daniel. They would, because Daniel didn't have a phone. Oh my god. Because he didn't really have, like, a legit place to right. stay. okay, okay. So he would tell record companies and journalists and stuff, hey, if you want to get a hold of me, call McDonald's. Oh my god. <laughs> call them Golden Arches, man. <laughs> Then in 1986, after recording three more albums, Dan won a bunch of Austin Music Awards. Whoa. But don't, and like, Austin's a pretty big music scene too. Yeah. And South by Southwest still at this time was a pretty big deal. So the Austin Music Awards were things that musicians really vied for. Right. And there's like the Austin City Limits. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing too. So he's in a great location. Right. As far as music goes. Again. Right place at the right time. Hmm. This was pretty controversial because there were a lot of longtime singer-songwriters who actually knew how to play guitar vying for these awards, but this new guy that can barely play wins instead. I would say I'm sure that the mental illness played a part in that. It could, certainly. You also have to look at it like the fact that he could do as well as he did with the mental illness and that the right. mental illness definitely had to have inspired a lot of his music. Right. So it's a bit of an artistically cultural thing to look at. It's not just some like motherfucker with a guitar yeah. singing. And that's also, cool. Oh, can you play like the four chords and sing real pretty? Well, you think you'd fucking deserve like a little pat on the booty for that. Yeah. And I also think get the fuck that- out of here. <laughs> I also think that Daniel was something that, people hadn't really seen before oh yeah because he he was definitely a pioneer of the new sincerity movement Mm. which was 
not so focused on um, music composition wise, but more more concentrating on how sincere you were in your delivery and your lyrics. And if you kind of tugged at somebody's heartstrings, they're going to fucking love you. And he did that. He was not a good singer. He was right, not right. a good guitar player, but he wrote catchy little like shittily composed pop songs that people really responded to and the lyrics are there yeah the lyrics are there so people are going to respond to that right the mid 80s saw dance popularity ramping up so a lot of new people started planting themselves in his life for better or worse Hmm. he focused his affections on someone new glass eyes wow did he finally get over Lori? Not really. He never did. Even to this day, he's not over her. She's the one. Yeah, for real. He focused his affections on someone new, Glass Eyes leading lady Kathy McCarthy. Oh. They had become good friends in the years since meeting, and Kathy always thought there was something incredibly innocent and angelic about Daniel. That's fair. Yeah. She knew he had a crush on her, so she allowed him to think that they were dating, even though in her mind they weren't. Stop. Which is Stop doing such that. a bad Hi. idea. Hi, my name is, hello, my name is Maggie, and I'm here with a PSA right now. Um, if a man is interested in you, but you are not interested in him, ladies, please don't lead him along, no matter how cute and innocent he may seem. Mm. It's still not okay. And that was my PSA for this evening. Please continue on your regularly scheduled podcast. <laughs> Even though there was no intimacy in the relationship after- Oh, you don't say! Because they weren't really dating! No, they weren't. At all. After two weeks, his parents came to visit, and he introduced Kathy as his fiancé. Oh, no! Yeah, no. Too far, too fast, too furious. Yep! All those things. That was too much for Kathy, and she broke things off, even though they were never on. Why? But it was almost like Daniel refused to believe it, and he was kind of pulling a Stacy from Wayne's World. Oh, my- <laughs> I lost you two months ago. A gun rack. I don't even own a, a gun, gun, let alone many guns to necessitate an, an entire rack. rack. <laughs> you know, if you're not careful, you're going to lose me. I lost you two months ago. <laughs> Randy Kemper also came so on. So was he being a psycho host beast? He was kind of being a psycho host beast. All right. Randy Kemper also came on board as Dan's manager. He introduced Dan to a lot of drugs, which was not That's, a good idea. No, we, ha, yeah, don't well, do that. They knew. They knew he was bipolar, at least. Yeah. They had to have known. Um. They knew something. And at this point, was he diagnosed with schizophrenia? No, I don't think he was diagnosed with that until much later. Okay, but I don't still, really like, know exactly when, but they knew that he had bipolar disorder. People with bipolar should never touch a drug ever. No. No, they should or not. Like alcohol. I don't know, I said like alcohol. Al- alcohol. <laughs> but they shouldn't touch those things because no. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Wow, okay. Dan started smoking a lot of weed and refused to play on stage. Oh. Then at a butthole surfers show, he was really good friends with the butthole surfers. Oh my god! But who isn't? I mean, really, <laughs> we all are in our, our own in our way. own way. Someone gave him 
a hit of acid at this show. Oh, no. And the trip was a bad one. Yeah. And he had a nervous fucking breakdown. Yeah. Holy fucking moly. Don't do this. That, or this was clearly the breaking point for him because his mental state took a fucking nosedive. Yeah. You don't say. And unfortunately, he continued to drop acid a lot. Well, like, if you have a bad trip, why would you keep dropping acid? To see if maybe you have a good trip? I mean, maybe he didn't think it was bad. It was as bad as it was. No, it was. Or maybe somebody was just like, oh, it was just a bad trip. Here, do it again. It'll be fine. Stop it. So that was in 1986, and his friends were increasingly worried about his behavior. Maybe stop giving him acid. Maybe stop giving him acid. Maybe this Randy Kemper guy ain't so great. Yeah, right? What are you doing, Randy? Randy! Randy! Not only was he acting like a totally different person, but he assaulted Randy Kemper. I mean, like, you know what, though? Randy might have done it to himself. Uh, it was pretty violent, though. He hit, oh. He, oh. Hit, he hit him over the head with a lead pipe <gasps> and sent him to the hospital with a severe concussion. I'm sorry. Like, I thought it was like he punched him. No. He fucking attacked oh, him. Oh, okay. You know what? Rescinding that. Redacting that comment. Sorry. Redact. 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 <laughs> oh, my God. Then, in December 1986, a truly scary incident with Dan's family happened that changed their view of their little brother forever. Dan went to his siblings' home in Texas to celebrate Christmas. He arrived in a manic state and continued that way for hours, (laughs) arguing with his siblings, accusing them of teaching their children satanic practices and speaking in different voices. And at this point, his... His, like, manic episodes manifested in a lot of, like, religious shit. Like, he's, yeah. he's, he started, like, doing the deep dive into religion and getting really into God. And then when he would get on his manic episodes, he would start accusing everybody of being in, in league with the devil and, you know, practicing Satanism and the devil's coming and all this well, shit. Well, honestly, like, demons, I mean, we talked about it a little bit with Wesley Willis, and in general, with people who are, yeah, people who deal with mental illness in that level of severity, whether, you know, it's, like, manic depressive or schizophrenia, it does usually lean towards religious. Yeah. And his whole background is extremely religious. His oh, parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. His parents were obsessed with religion. He grew up going to church every single week and you know his mom telling him he was you know right satanic exactly his, his cartoons were satanic even though they weren't they were yeah. just fucking doodles they're just whatever. weird <laughs> yeah he was just a fucking weird, kid. A fucking That's weird it. kid who isn't a weird kid but yeah now like all of his tangents would would be about satan and you know accusing everybody of everybody around him of being demons and yeah. Crazy yeah. shit like that. But anyway, he was at Christmas with his siblings, and at one point, they all made Christmas ornaments, but Dan decided to hang a large number nine cutout, just a cutout of the number nine. Okay. And also Beatles albums on the tree instead oh. of real ornaments. Come on, number nine is the worst Beatles is, song. And he was obsessed with it. God fucking damn it. Yeah. When his brother Dick tried to take the records down, Daniel came for him and wrestled him to the ground and broke Dick's rib. <gasps> Dick's rib. Dick's rib. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm sorry that that's what I got out of that, but also like, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> when Dan tried to bum rush the attic space where his nieces and nephews were playing, his sister called the police, who took Dan away and escorted him to a bus station. Wait, what? Yeah, they just brought him to a bus station. That's not how you deal with that, guys. Back then, that's how they fucking dealt with it. Guys, that's not how you deal with that. Oh, my God. They all made sure he got on a bus back to Austin in an effort to keep him away from their families and their families safe. So once he gets back to Austin, things do not get better. I can't imagine they would because you just dropped him off at a fucking bus station. You just left somebody in a psychotic episode. At a bus station. At a bus station. Not... Probably not we a fun are, bus ride for everybody. We are the fucking worst. Yeah. Um, his friend Lewis Black from the Austin Chronicle found Daniel's. Wait, sta- not the Lewis Black. Not the Lewis a Black. A Lewis Black. A Lewis. Lewis spelled differently. Spelled not, the other way. Not the dick, a dick. Not the <laughs> yeah. Lewis Black, a Lewis Black. A Lewis Black. <laughs> okay. He found Daniel standing in the middle of a creek, splashing water on himself and muttering nonsense about good versus evil, baptism, a military coup, and the government trying to use Coca-Cola and Snickers as drugs to take over the world. he has schizophrenia. Why hasn't anyone picked up on this yet? Yeah. Nobody's doing the right thing yet. You know what? And, And you know what? Weird twist. Gonna bring it back to, like, slightly, like, politically charged. Mm Mm-hmm. Wesley Willis, once he started to get real weird, they were like, no, throw that motherfucker into a hospital. He needs help. And maybe that's because he was a person of color. People were like, oh, there's something wrong with him. He shouldn't be on the street. He shouldn't be on the streets. Yeah. Then you have, like, this fucking dude, Daniel Johnston, who's like this little white boy, and he's like, he's just weird. Let's just leave him outside oh, for a little a, while. Oh, he's a creative genius. You need to let him do what he wants to or be just creative. Like, oh, but there's also nothing he's wrong. a danger like, to like, do everyone. Think, do you think he's not in danger to himself or anyone else because he's just this little white boy? Or is it like, what's the fucking deal yeah. here? I don't know. I feel like we're going to get weird comments about all of this. <laughs> I mean, I'm also very drunk and tired, guys. It, it can certainly spark debate, but as as far as I'm concerned, I definitely see white privilege in here quite a bit. But but in like in here's but what in I'm like trying to say with it, eighties. But here's what privilege. I'm trying to say with it too is it's like it's almost like a reverse of it in the sense that this isn't helping him. Right. Yeah. 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 Seeing, like it's almost like you're like you're assuming oh because he's white he's fine like but he needs help and no one's helping right, him right, right. and I don't understand why people can't look at what he's doing and just say. Holy shit, but this there's, isn't okay. There's also, I mean, it's still the 80s, so there's also a stigma still right, 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 against right, right. mental illness. So people just want you to be able to handle your own shit. Right. And they just don't want to deal with it. So they're just like, well, we don't know what to do. Just let him do whatever he wants. And I yeah. guess we'll just find him when we find him. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I've had friends with family members who are like that. And they're like, just let him walk around the streets and get it out of him. And he'll come home and it'll be better. And it's like, that's not. But that's not how it works. How you deal with that that's shit. That's not how any of this works. No. Yeah. No. So the cops showed up and Dan's friends made the difficult decision to finally commit him. You don't even get a good clap. You get a slow clap. Jesus. Hold your claps, though. Oh, I'm putting them back in my pocket. Because claps. Because Jeff Tartikoff, Daniel's friend, publicist, and new manager, foolishly checked Daniel out of the mental hospital. But why? He didn't even give a good reason. He just 
said he wasn't fully aware of why he was committed in the first place. But don't you think maybe he was committed for a reason? Nah, I know. I'm I'm his manager. I know how mental illness works, and he doesn't have it. It's fine. Let me mansplain to you some mental illness. Oh, my God. He probably went in there and mansplained mental illness. Yeah. But he just felt like it wasn't the right place for Daniel to be. Um, that is exactly where Daniel needs to be. Yeah. The fuck? Granted, he he made it sound like he immediately regretted his decision, which All he right. should. Yeah. He should. I You should feel bad, sir. I don't know you, but I want you to feel bad yeah, about this. Yeah, feel bad. You're bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. So, obviously, this was a bad idea and Daniel's delusional ramblings got worse. And he would not stop talking about the devil. He always loved the Beatles, but now he obsessively talked about Revolution Number no. 9. Oh, my God. I would just commit him for that alone. Yeah. Which he believed had something to do with Satan and the number of the beast, as did fucking everyone. Yeah. He threw everything he owned away, save for his guitar, a tape deck, and maybe a few other things. And he started going on a truly terrifying psychotic state. Jeff called Daniel's parents and his dad, a licensed pilot, flew from West Virginia to Texas to get Daniel and take him back to their home. Once there and seeing doctors, Dan was put on medication for the first time to stifle his manic depression. Oh, my God. The drugs worked, but also made him so sedated he could barely get out of bed, let alone write songs or be creative. Yeah, because this is back in the 80s. Like, drugs were pretty hardcore. You basically had, like, three, maybe three drugs that you could use to treat this kind of illness. You right. didn't have the, like, tree of different um, drugs that did slightly different things right. for something like this that you have now. So you could experiment with drugs. You could experiment with combinations of drugs. But right. for the most part... You didn't have a whole lot of choices, and most of them are going to make you lethargic. Mm -hmm. They're going to make you gain weight, and they're going to make you very sedated to the point where you just don't have feelings. You kind of just sit there. You kind of just sit there like a vegetable. You don't do anything. Yeah. So what's the trade-off? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's it's hard. If your entire life is being artistically creative, and now you don't even have the drive to do anything, what are you going to do? Yeah. So which one do you pick? But also you're not hurting anyone or scaring anyone anymore. So he tried to experiment with prescription drugs, trying to find the right one that helped him but didn't stifle his creativity. Meanwhile, his manager started introducing Daniel's music to bands like Half Japanese and Sonic Youth. Nice. The the latter of which he became friends with. Oh. In 1988, he traveled to New York City with Steve Shelley, who's at the time the drummer of Sonic Youth, Mm -hmm. and others from Sonic Youth, and also met longtime collaborator Jad Fair. Here, he recorded the album 1990, but he recorded the album 1990 in 1998, or 1988. Oh, 88. Jesus. And it didn't come out until 1990. Interesting. Strange. But he recorded that with producer Kramer who released the album on his label Shimmy Disc Records, which you might remember from our Guar episode. That's right. Because Guar was first signed to Shimmy Disc Records. That's right. I do remember that. 
also Guar commented on our Facebook post about Guar's them, and oh now. my god, it was the best thing. Guys, ever. we're kind of friends with Guar. We're now. friends with Guar now. Um, so NBD guys, NBD, we're part of a network, and we're friends with Guar. So like, you know, whatever. Moving on up. Yep. While in New York City, Dan's friends got a first-hand glimpse into his deteriorating mental state. While touring the Statue of Liberty, Dan was arrested for spray-painting hundreds of Jesus fish on the inside of the statue. Huh. Hundreds of them. That's a choice. And he recorded the conversation between him and the the cop that arrested him. Interesting. Basically, the cop was just like, I could either haul you off to jail or... We could, he said something like, either haul you off to jail or basically you're going to scrub off every single one of these Jesus fish that you spray painted on here. So which one was it? He's, I, I'm pretty sure he just scraped them off. Huh. I don't know. Right. I don't know if, I, he didn't like serve any jail time. I don't think he was booked. He then had a bizarre gig at Pierre Platter's Records. He stood on stage proselytizing at the audience, lecturing them about God and Satan, Hmm. getting more and more intense as Hmm. the show went on, and then broke down crying. Okay. Then he got everyone to sing along to Funeral Song, Okay, a song he had written about going to a funeral and never coming back. It was kind of scary. Like, if I were there, I would be severely worried about him and what was going to happen afterwards. Right. After the show... Dan started fighting with his friends and took off, leaving them to spend the rest of the evening searching for him. He was found at a hotel parking lot in New Jersey, and his friends didn't give him a choice. They wanted him to go back to his parents' house in West Virginia, but Dan refused and ended up staying in a men's shelter for a few days. Okay. He was assaulted on several occasions there, and his friends decided it wasn't a good place for him, so they got him a bus ticket and took him to Penn Station to go home. Okay. They thought they saw him get on the bus. I mean, however, so he should have had a chaperone. Yeah. However, a couple days later, he was spotted back roaming the streets of New York City. Yeah, that makes sense. Finally, he was somehow convinced to return to West Virginia, where he was immediately institutionalized. Once out, he went to Maryland to record with Jad Fair. But once again, he went off his meds and became severely unstable. There's like no happy medium for this guy. Never. On his way back to his parents' house, he got off his bus too early, and in a delusional state, he wandered around the streets of wherever he was, making tons of noise in the streets and screaming about how everyone was possessed by Satan. Um, yeah. I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> it's it's a little bit true. Yeah. But you didn't have to scream about it. Right. An elderly woman came to her window to tell him to be quiet, and this set him off. Yeah. That would. He stormed up to her apartment and pounded on the door, screaming at her. She was so terrified of him that she jumped out of her second story window and broke both of her ankles. What the fuck? Yeah. This is weird on a lot of levels. He was arrested again, charged with burglary, pleaded insanity, and was committed again. Maybe we should stop letting him out. I mean, not like forever, but like maybe like let him run his course. And I'm not, I don't think I even scraped the service of how many times he was institutionalized. I'm, I'm sure you haven't. Yeah. By 1990, Daniel's reputation had grown to the point where he was invited to play South by Southwest. There you go. By now, he had started his routine where he'd go off of his meds for a few weeks before performances because he realized that the crazier he acted during his shows, 
the bigger a response he got. I mean, which I get it, but also don't go off your meds. Right. It's, it is that argument. It's that classic argument of, of, are we exploiting this man? Right. And it's also, um, mental health versus artistic creativity. Right. Which one do you choose? Because you can't have both. Yep. Not in this case. At least not in this case. And, you know, going off of his meds worked. At South by Southwest, he played only a few songs to a crowd of 3,000 people, wow. and he got a standing ovation. Good for him. Dan's father, Bill, was at the show and ready to take his son back home on his private two-seater plane as soon as it was over. Oh, bougie. Bill didn't know Daniel had stopped taking his meds and didn't <gasps> know that this would end up being one of the worst and most terrifying nights of his life. Oh, Jesus. Things were going fine as Bill piloted the small plane back home. Then all of a sudden, Daniel started saying he wanted to bail out of the plane in midair. Oh, no. See, not only was he off his meds, but he had been reading Casper the Friendly Ghost comic books and thought he was literally Casper. Oh, no. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> One issue he especially liked had Casper flying through the air with a parachute, and Dan thought he could do that. Wait, why did Casper have a parachute? It it was his friend. Like, he, he had a friend in the comic books, and his friend had a parachute while Casper was, like, I guess. playing around him. Right. I don't know. But he had a parachute. Okay. He liked the parachute. Sure. One <laughs> <Let him> have <laughs> it. After arguing with his dad, Daniel grabbed the key out of the engine and threw it out the window. <gasps> then he overtook his dad and grabbed the controls, sending the plane into a tailspin. Somehow, his dad regained control and managed to crash land the plane into some trees. Somehow meaning he beat the shit out of his son in enough time yeah. to fucking grab the f- controls and crash land. Yup. Wow. Yeah. Fucking terrifying. What the fuck? Miraculously, Daniel and his dad weren't majorly hurt in the crash. However, the plane was a total loss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Dan's family immediately committed him, leaving him in the hospital for five months. Wow. In his delusional state, Dan actually thought he did something good. He wanted his parents to be proud of him for crashing the plane. Okay, that's, that's, oh. And there are very few things that will instantly make me cry in this, in this world. The first one is seeing animals in distress yeah like those aspca infomercials can't do it can't i can't fucking do it i changed channel the second the second thing elderly people crying elderly people sad makes me uncomfortable makes me really uncomfortable it just i feel so bad i feel the same way i do when i see the aspca commercials but in the documentary devil and daniel johnston Mm -hmm. when his dad is talking about this incident he just bursts into tears he is sobbing and i'm like i can't handle this this is so so profoundly sad because you could tell that he was upset that his son had such an illness that this thing happened but also it was terrifying he thought he was gonna die yeah so that was rough that was real fucking rough to watch Jesus. that. Dan managed to lay low for a while after this. Music okay. was a constant during the next couple of years, though, and Dan managed to record his first full studio album, 
with the help of friends and collaborators. Artistic Vice was released in 1991 on Shimmy Disc Records to very little fanfare. Mm. But then grunge happened. Yeah. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Kurt Cobain wore a shirt with the Hi, How Are You cover at the 1992 <laughs> MTV Video, Mu- Video Music Awards yep. during their infamous Rape Me Lithium performance. We talked about this. Yes, we did. And during our um in utero episode. Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then he was Everybody's like, "Oh god, oh god, they're gonna Oh god, they didn't." Oh, and then Dave Grawl just tries to find Axel Rose wherever he can. Hey Axel. Axel, where hey, are Axel, you? Axel, where are you? Hi Axel. Hi Axel. God, I fucking love Dave Grawl. <laughs> All of a sudden, everyone wanted to know what was up with that weird frog-looking guy on Kurt Cobain's t-shirt. <laughs> That t-shirt made Daniel Johnston a pretty popular name around the country, not just in Texas. It helped that Kurt Cobain talked about Daniel's music a lot, too, even listing Yip Jump music as one of his all-time favorite albums. Well, because you had told me, I'm cheating, but you had told me that uh, Kurt Cobain was heavily influenced by Daniel Johnston. He he really liked Daniel Johnston a lot. He wore that shirt fucking everywhere. Oh, good for him. Because of this incredible word-of-mouth campaign, record companies started knocking down Daniel's door. In 1993, the vice president from Elektra Records offered to sign him to the label. It was a deal completely unheard of, and I've never before heard of a contract so in favor of the artist. I don't think a record contract like this has existed since. That's interesting. Um, they took his illness into consideration when creating the contract. There were clauses saying he never had to tour, he would never be held to any kind of album schedule, and it was possibly the only record contract that gave near complete freedom to the artist. Wow. Then Geffen Records gets in on it and tries to outbid Elektra. Oh. So he's got a bidding war. Nice. Meanwhile, Daniel is still going in and out of hospitals and institutions. While this bidding war is raging, he became convinced that Elektra was satanic. Yeah. Because Metallica was signed to the same label. I was like, is it because of Metallica? Yeah. yeah and then you just... said it, and I'm like, wow, I'm yeah. good. He was positive Metallica were going to find him and kill him. Which... Oh, stop. Unless he's illegally downloading their music, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, you're okay. And, and this was well before the Napster fiasco, so. I just being an asshole. He's fine. Eventually, he convinced himself that his manager friend, Jeff, was satanic also. But he probably was. And fired him for good. Oh, my God. It was a hard blow because Jeff had worked so hard for so long to get Daniel a major label contract. And finally, it's here. And all of a sudden, he's the devil. Oh. But also, this kind of plays into that. But are you really doing this with Daniel's best interest in mind? Right. Because you're you're trying really hard to get him a major label, but is that really what he wants? Are you just trying to make money? Yeah, this is a very this is really where um last week's story and this week's story kind of takes a very different this, turn. Yeah, because Daniel Johnston is now reaching this mainstream success, and are they giving it to him because they feel like he's worth it, or do they just like the show that he offers? Right, I kind of got the impression um this is not the way that the the documentary tried to skew it at all but i just got the impression that people were kind of taking advantage of him okay at this point yeah 
because he really didn't know any better. He was not in a mental state where he could understand that he wanted a major label, that he wanted any of this stuff. So I got the impression that people were just making all of these decisions for him and also not, not really taking their, his parents wishes into consideration either. Cause I'm sure his parents saw a very different side to him than his friends did because his friends got to see like the, the placid Daniel Johnston a lot where I think his parents mostly saw manic Daniel Johnston because Anytime something bad happened, they shipped him off to his parents. Interesting. So, yeah, that's... I don't particularly get the impression at this point that everyone had his best intentions in mind. Right. They were thinking cash cow. Cash cow, and if he gets bad, just send it back to his parents. Right. Okay. And look, we got these amazing terms with this record contract that nobody's ever heard of so if shit goes down and he goes nuts we can ship him back off to west virginia and everything's fine he'll be institutionalized five months from now we'll get him back in the studio if he goes crazy we'll just do it all over again that's yeah and i definitely more on the edge of exploitation and i could be completely wrong about that i'm sure people would argue that i am completely wrong about that but that was just as the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones once said, it's the impression that I get. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> In 1994, less than a year later, Daniel got a new manager and signed to Atlantic Records. His album Fun was released on September 20th, 1994. It was massively disappointing. Oh, no. And it only sold 5,800 copies. Ooh, not great. Two years later, in 1996, Daniel was dropped by Atlantic. Oh. No one's surprised. Yeah. His popularity fell off a bit since he was dropped by Atlantic, and he returned to living with his parents and creating music privately for the most part. Hmm. But don't think he hasn't been busy. He spent his time touring extensively around the world, playing to audiences that still revered him for his contributions to outsider music and the new sincerity movement. Seriously, a lot of people have never heard of him. Right. I mean, but the people that have heard of him, oh my God, he's like a god to them. I think it's funny because you and I are, we're on the opposite sides of the coin in this because like, I would came to you with Wesley Willis and you're like, who's Wesley Willis? Yeah. And you come to me with Jan- Daniel Johnston and I'm like, who's Daniel jo- Johnston? So yeah. we are like, but, I, but, but you're right. Cause both, both artists have their camps. Mm-hmm. I mean, we discovered last week, loads of people do know who Wesley Willis is. Oh and yeah. They're like I fucking remember. And I'm willing to bet once this comes out, there's going to be loads of people are like, yeah, I remember like this Daniel Johnston moment. Yeah. So it's, and I it's, think a lot of people in our generation know who Daniel Johnston is because of Nirvana. Probably. That's the only honestly. reason I know who he is. Yeah. And and that's the interesting about like the outsider movement is like you probably know at least one artist that has contributed to that. Yeah. And the funny thing about the outsider movement is that it kind of truly is an outsider movement because you have all of these different artists that are part of it, but they are so individual Mm -hmm. i 
I know who Daniel Johnston is, but I couldn't, I couldn't have told you anybody else that was part of the outsider movement, movement. Exactly. And that's, same here with I guess Leslie Willis. Truly what it's about. <laughs> like every, each one is so individual that like they're not even related to the other right, people right. that are in the outsider movement. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting. It's so angsty. I don't even know if it's angsty. It's, it's just... so, it's such a goth thing. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. You don't even know, man. Just leave me alone. I just want to wear my Jinkos and dye my hair blue. <laughs> so he's recorded and released six albums in the last 20 years. Colla- Jesus. Collaborating with various members of bands like Glass Eye and Sparkle Horse and Deer Tick. Didn't he? He did something, too, with um not the Swell Season, but Glenn, like Glenn Hansard. He did stuff with him, too, I think. I don't even know who that is. Yes, you do. He's that guy from Once. There you go. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I I know he, they, the, like, the swell season was at Austin City Limits. I think it was, like, 2008, and they had Daniel Johnson come on stage with him. Had him co- come on stage. Had him and, come like, on stage and sing one of his songs. And that's, like, really all I know about Daniel Johnston and that up was, to this point. That was pretty pretty old, or not old, pretty new is what I meant. <laughs> it was pretty new. Yeah, but I mean, like, so, and, so it's, and, it's interesting because other artists have had him come on and, like, work with them. It's kind of crazy because in the last, like, I would say, like, 15 years, most of what you hear from Daniel Johnston is other newer artists covering mm. their stuff or doing some sort of collaboration with him. Right. Because a lot of new artists are super inspired by him. It's interesting. It's very interesting. It's like, especially like, again, in contrast to what we were talking about last week. Yeah. It's like, there how, were plenty how, of artists and people who were inspired by Wesley Willis, but at the same time, they wouldn't cover his songs. And I they wonder, cover, like, granted, unfortunately, he passed away. If like today you would have as many artists bringing Wesley Willis on stage with them. You know what I mean? Right. I think now in 2019, if you were still alive, yes. maybe. Okay. Okay. I, I think they would, but 10 years ago? No. No. Not. They wouldn't. The odds were a weird time. They were a very strange and not cra- great time. Crazy odyssey of a time. Seriously hmm. though. Yeah. Speaking of, in the, in 2004, the double album, The Late Great Daniel Johnston Discovered Covered, was released and featured covers of dance songs by bands like Death Cab for Cutie, Bright Eyes, Tom Waits, and Beck. Again, though, where's Wesley Willis's cover album? Yeah. I'm sorry. I know this is an episode on Daniel Johnston. But you can't help but make the comparison. Because they have... I mean, you can compare and contrast their stories, but you can compare them pretty, pretty... Similar. They're yeah, very like, similar. They are similar stories and it's similar timelines. It's not even like they grew up in necessarily right. that different of an era. Right. But it's so. like, how come everybody is revering Daniel Johnson's music so much, but everyone's kind of just ignoring Wesley Willis? And I wouldn't even necessarily say ignoring Wesley Willis so much as kind of like looking him, looking at him as a novelty. Yeah. And I think maybe... Some of that has to do with subject matter because yeah. it's very easy to cover a very sweet love song 
And it's not so easy to cover a spoken word, like aggressively. A spoken, an aggressive spoken word song about caribou booty hole. Yeah. I mean, but, but also, like, I also want to hear it. But Death Cab for Cutie, why can't you cover an aggressive spoken word song about caribou's booty hole? Yes. Because seriously. I want to hear you do Colin, that. You know what? Ben Gibbard fucking covered the caribou whether, booty hole. Whether it be via Death Cab for Cutie or that other band, that's the same band. The Decemberists? No. Because they're the same fucking no, band. No, they're Death Cab for Cutie. Postal Service. That's the baby. <laughs> I mean, I will say, like, you're right, though. Daniel Johnson's songs are very, like, sweet and endearing. Yes. But also then you look at him on stage and there's, like, there is something unnerving about him. Oh, 100%. I don't particularly like watching him perform because it makes me slightly uncomfortable. And it, I think it should. Yeah. Like, that means that you understand there's something wrong and someone should help him. But at the same time, watching him perform in the, in more recent years, I feel like he has recently gotten the help that he should have. Oh, okay, good. Um, and I think he is, he, he has found that magical combination, that magical elixir of medication that is helping him. Good. Good, good. Sedate himself, but also not be creatively stifled. Right. Which is why he could still, you know, perform on stage and still write music, still collaborate with people. But still, watching him on stage like 10 years ago is, it's like, I don't know if he's still enjoying this. Right. Probably. I think his, his nervousness is making me nervous. Right. I guess is, is why I feel so weird. That's fair. You might be listening to this and thinking you may have never heard Daniel's music before, but you probably have and you don't even know it. Mm. In 2001, Target used his song Speeding Motorcycle in their commercial. And more recently, Apple used the story of an artist in their commercial, Hmm. which was, I feel like, a more widely distributed commercial and one that people would know. So if you Google or go on the YouTubes and search for the Apple commercial with Daniel Johnson in it and listen to it, you'll probably know the commercial. Or maybe I'll just fucking throw it in right here. Listen up and I'll tell a story. About an artist growing old Some would try for fame and glory Others aren't so bold The artist walks among the flowers Appreciating the sun Why do you only do that only? How'd you, how'd you like that? How'd you like that? I'm how do you sorry. like that? How do you, you like, like that? that? <laughs> wow, I am very tired and drunk. Yeah. And also, um, Karen O from the Yeah Yeah Yeah. Oh yeah. Covered one of his songs in the soundtrack for Where the Wild Things Are. Was it All Is Love? Maybe. That's a cute song. Yeah. If it's that one, it's a very super cute, cute song. song. It's a very cute song. Like just like a little children choir and everything. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. It's quite a, it's quite the sweet song. Mm-hmm. 
In July 2017, Daniel announced that he had retired from live performance, which may have had something to do with his father's passing. Oh, that's sad. Also, Mabel died in 2010. So, 2017, he didn't have any of his parents left. Oh. His farewell tour consisted of five dates, each backed by a band that were influenced by his music. Hmm. That included Built to Spill... Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, Modern yep. Baseball, and others. Interesting. Although we'll never see Daniel perform live music anymore, we may still get to see his artwork at gallery shows. Nice. Way back in 1994, Daniel's former manager, Jeff Tartikoff, even though he wasn't talking to Daniel at the <laughs> time, wasn't giving up on his friend after he was fired. He started collecting every piece of Daniel's artwork he could possibly find. Eventually, people started contacting him to put on gallery shows of Daniel's art. Since then, Daniel has shown his art in London, New York, and around the world. One show at the Zero One Gallery in L.A. saw 98% of Dan's art sold before the show even opened. And What? This was the art show that the documentary ended on. And they just show him, like, just putting up all of his little pieces of like loose leaf paper with the drawings on them and somebody had fucking bought 98% of the show before anybody had even seen it. All right. Somebody's a fan. Apparently. But if you don't want to wait around for an art show, you can always go to the one restaurant in Austin that commissioned from Daniel a full wall mural of Jeremiah the Innocent. Is that the frog? That's the frog that looks like Crumb from All Real Monsters. (laughs) <laughs> the building now houses a Thai restaurant called Thai How Are You. Stop. Done. That's it. That's it. Thai How Are You. <laughs> I would go for the pun alone. Yeah, I mean, honestly. I don't even care about Thai food. I mean, honestly, I we, should, we should just visit Austin anyway, but, like, also visit Austin to go to Thai How, How Are You. you? Fuck. I, I do it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, I know we've spent a lot of this episode comparing and contrasting him and Wesley Willis. Um, they, I mean, here's, they both have like these fascinating stories. It's crazy how their stories kind of interweave, but then completely branch have, off. Have branch off and, and have it's, completely it could be different- location, it could be race, it could be, um, just like classism, it can be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, um, I know with both artists, people tend to have the argument of, well, with their mental illness and all these things, is it right to listen to them? Is, mm-hmm. Are they being exploited? I'm sure like there are times in both stories where you have these artists and maybe there is some exploitation. But at the end of the day, what does it say if we wouldn't let them perform? You know what I mean? Like, right. like, Isn't that shittier? Isn't it shittier to say, like, well, because you have a mental illness, we don't want you to perform? Right. Well, that one point in time when they finally gave him a diagnosis and put him on medication, it was creatively stifling. He just didn't want to do anything. And that was torture for him. Exactly. He hated that point in his life. And... That's why he kept going off of his meds because he wanted to be creative because yeah. he had all this shit inside of him that he couldn't get out if he was sedated on all of these drugs. Mm. So, yeah, I don't... it's it's a real it's... fucking catch 22 because you don't want to tell someone you don't get to be your creative self. 
You like, don't want to stop who, someone from. Who are we to tell somebody else that? Right. And I mean, isn't that condescending in its own right to tell someone because you have a mental illness, you can't do X, Y, Z. Well, right. what the fuck is that? Who are we? Who are we? The able-bodied I mean, people that are, that have the right to tell somebody that they can't do something because right. they have a mental illness. And that's, that's just how right. we perceive it. Like we're, we're looking at this through our lenses. We're not looking at this through their lenses. Right. And I mean, and they Wesley Willis has it. even said like, you know, music had kept me out of jail. I'm sure right. Daniel Johnston's just like, music is like what keeps me going and living as a person. And right. it's, and they might need it yes. for that specific purpose. So who to, the fuck am I? As, as right. you said, an able-bodied person be like, well, that's exploitation. I mean, is it though? If that's what they want to do, I kind of feel like they had points in their journeys that where they were lucid enough where if they really they were lucid enough to know that they were being exploited if they were being exploited or to have a problem with it if they knew they were being exploited. and, And I mean, here's the thing with both gentlemen, when they got very bad, they were institutionalized and they were given the help they needed. Right. So, I mean, you do have that aspect too. People were trying to look out for them. Right. And I think they also suffered from wrong time period. Mm, um, yeah, that's true. They didn't have the resources for mental health that we know that we have now. Right. So they kind of suffered because of that. They didn't, they didn't have the advances in medicine and psychological technology. I mean, to... if you think about it too, like even in the sixties and seventies, they were still using lobotomies to treat shit like that. Yeah. So thankfully they didn't get shit like a lobotomy. Right. It's, you know. But like, but also who the fuck knows what he went through whenever he went into an institution. Exactly. He could have still have been, um, subjected to electroshock therapy. Yeah. Especially, honestly, if he was in an institution in West Virginia. Yeah. You're right. Who knows? He could have. You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like things like mental health awareness, whether it be something from like depression to schizophrenia, it's all we are still learning. And I think it's mm-hmm. been in the recent years that we are open minded to treatment mm-hmm. and to people who have mental illnesses and alternative and helping treatments. them and alternative treatments and just the empathy and compassion that you need for it. And I think we need to treat them like they're normal people in a sense, you know, in the sense of like treat them like humans. Right. Don't treat them like children. Don't treat them like they don't fucking know. Mm-hmm. But also, like, help them, but treat them like humans. That's kind of what I've gotten from both of these stories is don't exploit them, but at the same time, let them express themselves the way they need to. And however that turns like out, it turns out. Somebody who has um schizophrenia to, like, a degree that Daniel Johnson had it, mm-hmm. um, because towards, like, present day... It's quite severe. Right. And I'm sure he probably has caretakers. Hopefully. And things like that because I, I don't think he would be able to like drive a car and go to a grocery store and buy his own groceries and things like that. He would probably have to have somebody helping him with those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, granted, I don't know. Yeah. If you just talk to him like a normal fucking human being, that's all he wants. Yeah. Like, take a little bit of the stigma away. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Even if, like, you have to force yourself to take it away. So I'm not gonna, like, I'm not perfect. Like, sometimes I just have to, like, 
So you get weirded at first and then you have to stop yourself and think like, okay, they're just fucking people. Treat them like they're people. Right. And I think that's what matters. Treat I them think like that's they're people all he wants to. and like respect their art. You know what? They did make art. Yeah. And like, that's amazing. And whether it affects you or not, respect it. So I, I don't know. I think that's kind of the takeaway is like, respect their art, carry it on. Yeah. And treat them with what they deserve, the accolades that they deserve. Also, he recently put out a comic book about space ducks. Um, all right, here for it. <laughs> so go find the space duck, uh, comic book by Daniel Johnson. By Jan- Daniel right. Johnson. Let's do it. All right, that's where we're going right now. Space ducks coast to coast. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I never sure. watched Space Ghost. Oh my God. What? You're missing out. I'm not. I didn't really like it that much. Sorry. I love Brack though. The Brack show is great. Sweet for Brack. <laughs> oh my God. All right. I think this is a good place to put a pin in it. Yep. Knock it out for now. But, uh, you know. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed learning about a bunch of random artists. Good times, great oldies. I don't know. It was it was a pretty intense couple of weeks. Yeah, it has been. It's only gonna get it's worse. It's gonna get worse. I it's guess. like it's it's a roller coaster, guys. Like mental health is important to be aware of and it's important that we like take some time to acknowledge like how many friggin' artists there are who deal with mental health problems. Yeah. So, I, this is important. I think it is anyway. So, we appreciate but, you guys for listening. But also, you're not alone. You're not. And we're here for you. Sure. Actually, honestly, yeah. Like, and also, no problem. Hit us up. Also, get some sleep. I sleep is great. <laughs> need so much sleep. You don't even fucking know. That's what I'm saying. It. Get some sleep. You know what? First, drink some water. Drink then some water. Get, get some, some sleep. sleep. And then we'll talk in the morning. That's the plan. All right, guys. So thanks for listening to your favorite Rock Candy podcast. Now on the Pantheon Pantheon Network. Network. (laughs) Thank God they're going to get rid of us. (laughs) They're going to be like, we don't need these. You're done. We changed our minds. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) You're burnt. But I mean, if you like what you're hearing, why don't you just go visit our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com. We got everything there for you. We've got our episodes. You can comment on them. We've got email. Hit us up if you got questions, comments. Um, you can also just like follow our social medias from there as well. We've got the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Got all that shiz. And if you really like us, you're really jiving on this, go ahead. Go leave us a five-star review and be like, these ladies are amazing. And we'll be like, yes, we are. Because Thank that you. is the truth. It's truth. And if you're going to leave us a low-star review, could you at least, like, or rating, could you at least, like, leave a review with it? At least tell us why. Because, okay? like, we can't get better if you're not going to tell us what we're doing wrong. Yeah. But we probably won't listen anyway. Constructive criticism is so helpful. Right? Like, you don't have to be a dick, guys. Let's all be friends here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, we'll hit you guys up next week. But until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on. Yeah, crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.